what role does marketing have to play in some of the inequality and health challenges that we currently face in your view and how can we do it better yeah so there's absolutely no doubt about it historically marketing and advertising has been a massive part of the problem there's just no no two ways about it it, it sounds crazy when you actually take a step back to think about it doesn't it that we will actively buy things and consume things which we know are bad for us but of course We've seen a cool advert or a great marketing campaign for it, and it makes us desire that thing. So 100% marketing has played a massive role in where it gets interesting for me is how it now can and must be part of the solution. And I mentioned earlier about how we can achieve that by working on positive campaigns, which are honest and authentic and which, you know, don't greenwash to educate people. This is season five, the great debates of our times. Season five will be centered around the great debates and we will be comparing and contrasting different viewpoints on various topics that are consuming the public discourse at present. The reason I've decided to take this approach is because we, or at least many of us, are losing the skill of debate. And I think this is an essential skill for us all to practice once more. I don't see how we get to the point of saving the world and saving our planet if we don't know how to discuss our differences. I also think that the solution to most of our challenges is somewhere in the spectrum of views, but never at either extreme. I will be working with guests to curate the content and discuss beforehand. I will understand their positions, their areas of genius, and navigate my questions around that so that the conversation is challenging and stimulating without being combative. I hope you enjoy season five of Where Ideas Launch, the Sustainable Innovation Podcast. Russ Avery is an eco-entrepreneur, sustainable marketer, and CEO of purpose-driven brand consultancy Avery & Brown. With over a decade of experience marketing sustainable brands, including six years in-house at two large corporate sustainability consultancies, Russ not only has a deep knowledge of sustainable and ethical marketing practices, but also of the sustainable and regenerative business movement as a whole. Russ, Welcome to Where Ideas Launch. Thank you so much for having me, Catherine. It's, it's great to be here and I'm a big fan of the podcast, so it's, it's a pleasure to be in such good company. That's awesome. I'm always excited to hear that people have listened to my podcast. I don't know why. <laughs> I know that the statistics are great, but every time someone tells me, I get excited again. So thank you for sharing that. We've been connected for some time now on LinkedIn. I discovered your work through Howard Gunstock at Carbon Capture, and your content is extremely engaging. I don't know if you remember this, but you posted a video of your daughter singing a song from Keen. Since then, I've updated my Spotify playlist with Keen's music, so I genuinely forgotten how good they are so thank you for that <laughs> oh you're welcome yeah that was actually a really nice surprise for me too because my daughter recorded that with my dad her granddad accompanying her on the guitar so it was a lovely surprise when my dad sent me that video and it was during cop 26 last year so i just thought it was a perfect song to be used as a soundtrack for a quick video thanks in large part to that great line in the song this could be the end of everything yeah and so i just put it together and yeah it's, it was Quite a nice piece. <laughs> it was magic. It was it was internet magic. Absolutely. So you mentioned on your LinkedIn profile that you've been involved in the sustainability transition since 2010. So I'd love to know your why. And also, if you could tell us a bit about your statement that sustainability is out and regeneration is in. 
Sure. So to answer the first part of the question, for me, it was all about discovering my why and my purpose before I even really knew what what those terms meant. It was 2009, and I'd been doing various temp jobs for two years since graduating. I graduated with a degree in languages, and I had no idea what I wanted to do for a career, as most of my friends didn't either. It's pretty common, I guess. So I'd been a runner at a film production company. I'd worked for a small charity. I did some admin and archiving for a law firm. I even did a year at Deloitte in forensic accounting. So it's definitely safe to say that I was jumping around from job to job with no drive or, or job satisfaction. You know, it was a terrible job market. It was a global financial crisis. And none of my friends were getting jobs that they wanted to do either. They were all recruitment consultants or estate agents. So yeah, in 2009, I really, after doing two years of these temp jobs, I really took a step back and thought about what I actually cared about. And I kept coming back to wildlife and nature, which I've been passionate about since as long as I can remember as a boy growing up on the west coast of Scotland. And that was it. I, I made up my mind. I had nothing to show for it or prove in terms of academic qualifications in, you name it, geography, biology, sustainability, whatever it was. So I went back to university to study for a degree in natural and environmental sciences and I started applying for jobs at the same time while I was there. And that's when I managed to get my foot in the door at a small ocean conservation nonprofit called SeaWeb in 2010. And the rest is history. So that's how I kind of discovered my why. I really went back to what I was passionate about and decided that I had to make a career in that in some way and, and get my foot in the door. As for posts that I've written about sustainability kind of being out and regeneration being in, I haven't written any of those to be deliberately controversial. They've all just been cases of publicly sharing like what I'm thinking and publicly sharing the journey that we're on at Avery and Brown. So the term regenerative business has been around for years, but I'd never heard of it when I first shared it in early 2021 in a LinkedIn post. And perhaps unsurprisingly, loads of other people hadn't heard of it either. So the post just seemed to really resonate. And in a nutshell, I'd written about how I didn't think that sustainable business was enough anymore. And that if we listen to the climate scientists, which of course we should do, it's way too late in the day for that. We don't just need businesses to be less bad. We need them to do more good. Yeah. So for me, no matter what the academic definitions of a regenerative business might be, mine was and still is that we want to be a business which gives back more to society and the planet than it takes. And I think it's that simplicity of message which led to my original post resonating with so many people. Yeah, that absolutely reminds me of Net Positive by Andrew Winston and Paul Pullman. I don't know if you've read the book, but the book has just given me so much in terms of insight into how we need to be thinking, how all big businesses need to be thinking. And to be honest, most aren't they yet. Many are trying and, and they're making progress, but most are not there yet. And that's really a concern because it, it comes down to that bit of a conflict that I, that I also have. Like, as I'm in the process of returning to traditional work, we'll talk about that later. But as I think about the companies that I go to and as I interview with companies, they're on such different spectrums of where they are. I know that they're all trying to be better, which is why there's a potential role for me. <laughs> I wouldn't go back if I didn't see a role in potential. And I know that we all need to help even the companies that we don't necessarily like, the ones we think of greenwashing, etc. We need to help them do better. But it's still difficult if their full heart isn't there. So I wonder if I have the capacity to do the change management I need to do. 
So maybe if you can give some insight as to why this topic has become so huge and why it's such an important thing for marketing at the moment. Absolutely. Yeah. So quite simply, I just think it's the greatest issue of our time. So the climate crisis and the associated crises which accompany it, including ecological collapse and increasing social inequality, are without a doubt the greatest challenges that humanity has ever faced. And they permeate through every facet of life and business. And that, of course, includes marketing. And the reason sustainability is such a big marketing issue is because of the huge impact marketing and advertising has on people and you know people are central to the problem and must absolutely be central to the solution so what people read watch and hear every day has a profound effect on the way they behave the actions they take the way they spend their money etc so marketing plays a vital role in how people not only understand but also how they react to the many facets of sustainability whether that be choosing to buy so-called sustainable goods and services and we'll come on to that later when i talk about greenwash or where and how they invest their money for example and so on the notes of greenwash we couldn't have this chat without raising it as sustainability has become more trendy, we've witnessed an increasing prevalence of greenwash. And for those who might not know, greenwash is when brands use false, misleading or unsubstantiated claims in their marketing and advertising. And I would say greenwashing is mostly deliberate, but sometimes it can be accidental, which raises a really interesting point about climate education and carbon literacy and that sort of thing, because it's sometimes the case of people simply not knowing the facts or how to talk accurately about something to do with sustainability. And I think we'll we'll revisit that later as well. And interestingly, one of my most popular posts um, on LinkedIn this year was about that nuance of language. And it went something along the lines of, you know, please remember that there's a huge difference between saying something is good for the environment and saying something is less harmful to the environment, because there seems to now be an increasing number of cases of brands saying the former when what they really mean is the latter. So, you know, anyone listening to this, think about whether your product or service is actually good for the environment, e.g. whereby it helps restore it or actively benefit in some way. Or is it just that it's less damaging to the environment than other similar options on the market? You know, it sounds like a small thing, but that actually is a big thing. And, you know, thankfully, advertising and marketing campaigns can be shut down now for their use of greenwash um, if it gets reported. Um, and we can talk about that a bit later on. But yeah, that that important distinction can save you a lot of time, money and general bother. And I guess... Yeah, that for me is why sustainability or regeneration, those kind of catch-all phrases are so important in terms of marketing. It's all about behavior and how 7 billion people on the planet are acting, behaving, spending their money and ultimately taking action or not. It's interesting what you say because, well, one of the facts is that not 7 billion people are looking at these marketing campaigns. In fact, it's roughly maybe two and a half, maybe three billion Sure. The rest are way below the poverty line and can't afford any of this stuff, which which brings me to some interesting ethical <laughs> questions that I that I'd like to run past you. So my first one is this entrepreneurship is psychologically associated with creating this game changing business, these massive business models that transform everything, products and services or hybrids, but earning well while doing it. And, and that tends to be the focus. 
becoming the next unicorn, 1 billion in revenue, you know, getting this great valuation tends to be the goal for many people starting big businesses. And even for small businesses, it's about, you know, getting that seven figures, etc. In your view, should we encourage the continuation of this thinking? Because I feel as if it's broken from the rest of the sustainability conversation. I mean, there is this part about carbon, but there's also this part about the social good. What are your thoughts on that? Such a great question, Catherine. Um, so, of course, this is just my opinion based on my own desires and drivers in life, but I honestly can't think of anything much worse than having an overarching goal of like wanting to be a billionaire. Um, this ridiculous kind of culture of billionaire hustle has spread like wildfire since the dawn of social media. Um, even though most of what we see on there is totally fake. You know, unfortunately, we live in a world where people will literally rent supercars for the day so they can take loads of photos of themselves with it for their Instagram profile to make others think that they're far wealthier and successful in their definition of success than they actually are. And, you know, if that's not utterly mad, then I really don't know what is. But where it gets interesting is if purpose-driven entrepreneurs want to get wealthy and build big businesses so that they can increase the positive impacts that they can make to people on the planet. In other words, by building a regenerative business, right? That really excites me. And that's the camp that I definitely fall into. You know, I don't have big desires for Avery and Brown to grow super, super quickly so that we can make seven, eight figures. I want to grow, you know, funnily enough, sustainably and slowly and in the right way for us. But I think we need to talk about cases like Patagonia because it happened so recently. Yvonne Chouinard, the founder of Patagonia, is uh, an absolute uh, sustainable business pioneer, as we all know. But recently he announced that Earth was becoming, you know, the major kind of shareholder of, of Patagonia and that billions of dollars will be put to, to hopefully good causes by protecting the Earth's last wild spaces, which he cares so passionately about. It's a real case study of growing a business. And, you know, there are people who are quick to shout down Patagonia, by the way, you know, using synthetic materials in its in their clothing and stuff. But we need to celebrate progress, not perfection, because, you know, what is perfection anyway? So it's a real case study of how you can grow a huge, huge business with insane profits, but actually do something amazing with those profits. So your average billionaire would probably use that money to buy their next luxury yacht and their private jet and another house, et cetera. But there is a different way and it is out there and we're seeing examples of this now. And that that has to excite me because, you know, we have to stay optimistic about these things and, and hopeful. So I know a lot of great purpose-driven entrepreneurs out there who are currently running small businesses like ours. But, you know, one day these could be the next Yvonne Chouinard's, which is um, super exciting. And what they're going to do with their profits really excites me because they'll be trying to contribute to, towards the sustainable development goals ultimately and trying to make the world a better place instead of buying luxury material goods, which are just uh, feeding the problem. Yeah, it definitely is complicated. Let's move to the second part of this question, because it's in a way more marketing related. But when we look back into the history of marketing, as the global game changer has become fundamentally since the 50s, roughly, many link some of the greatest marketing campaigns with behaviors that haven't been good for the planet. So to give some examples, diamonds are forever. I saw this story on Netflix, and I was 
flabbergasted at how this campaign came about and the selfishness that drove it and the success it's had. I mean, it's still something that women desire for their weddings, which is just absolutely nuts for me. Then when we look at things like Coca-Cola, you know, you want to feel refreshed, Coke is it. We saw people like Ronaldo push away the Coke bottle when he's doing his conferences, etc. So with Coke, it's 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 really about having this fizzy gas sugary alternative to water and it uses so much water as well which is such a big challenge for for us right now so how can we do better how can we really move this along you know we even had the the depiction of advertising we saw in mad men you know the tobacco lobby and things like this what role does marketing have to play in some of the inequality and health challenges that we currently face in your view and how can we do better yeah so there's absolutely no doubt about it historically marketing and advertising has been a massive part of the problem there's just no no two ways about it. You've already mentioned uh, some of them, Catherine, in your question there, but the obvious ones would be tobacco literally used to be advertised as a health benefit. So a cigarette a day keeps the doctor away and stuff like that. Alcohol, of course, which continues to this day, but is more regulated than it used to be. Gambling. And then the big one for me would, of course, be overconsumption. Marketing has played a direct role in the terrible inequalities in the world and the environmental degradation of the planet because it has forced us, albeit sometimes subliminally, to buy crap that we don't want, need, or is even bad for our health. I mean, imagine it sounds crazy when you actually take a step back to think about it, doesn't it? That we will actively buy things and consume things which we know are bad for us. But of course, we've seen a cool advert or a great marketing campaign for it, and it makes us desire that thing. So 100% marketing has played a massive role in, in the global inequality and health challenges that we face. And again, where it gets interesting for me is how it now can and must be part of the solution. And I mentioned earlier about how we can achieve that by working on positive campaigns, which are honest and authentic and which don't greenwash to educate people. So let's move to a more positive note, shall we? Tell us about some of those campaigns you are currently working on or have worked on in the past that are making a difference to what marketing can become. Absolutely. As I was saying, the reason I'm excited about the role that marketing can play in, in the future and being part of the solution to all these challenges we face is because of the reach and the impact that it can have when done correctly. So what really excites me are marketing campaigns which drive education, which share best practices, and which ultimately inspire and empower their audiences to maybe ask the right questions but ultimately also start taking action, start taking positive action. That's really exciting. An example of a campaign that we've worked on in the past is the hashtag tackle the crisis campaign. That was our kind of biggest campaign to date in terms of the global reach that we had. Um, so it was done on behalf of our client Elodie. And it was so simple, which is probably why it was so effective. And it was a user-generated campaign which encouraged people to promote brands and individuals which are providing planet positive solutions and also to share positive and uplifting environmental news. And it had the very simple aim of helping to tackle the climate crisis by promoting those 
positive solutions, but also keep people's climate anxiety at bay. Mm-hmm. So really tackling those two important issues at once, because climate anxiety is a real issue now, especially for those who work in sustainability, but also just for the general public who are clued up about the issues. So it was a campaign which simultaneously educated promoted better alternatives and better options, whether it was uh, sustainable and ethical goods or services, shared positive environmental news, of which there is loads around. But we forget that because obviously, if we're glued to the media, then we're just fed the deluge of doom and gloom news stories about how bad the state of the world is, which is true, but there needs to be some balance there. So we were encouraging people to promote and share these positive environmental news stories, which they'd been hearing about or which they knew about themselves, of which there are thousands because there are so many good people out there trying to do good things. And even the kind of more global positive news stories about the reintroduction of species or species which have recovered due to protected areas and stuff can get really bumped down the newspapers and the, you know, the news feeds. So they needed to be brought to the fore. That was a really good example of a marketing campaign with a really hugely positive impact. And it's still kind of going on to this day because the beauty of the the user-generated aspects of the campaign is that people are just using the the hashtag tackle the crisis whenever they share something positive. Yeah, I get that. I'm going to ask you a question that I didn't prepare you for. So sorry about that. (laughs) But TikTok. So we talk about education as being essential to the sustainability movement. And in a way, TikTok has been, well, quite fundamental in the education of our youth today with very short videos, with social justice topics. I think they do very, very well. I don't think they do as well on environmental topics. What are your thoughts about how we can capitalize on this massively growing, exciting medium? to communicate the best messages for our youth? Wow, Uh, amazing question. So quite timely as well. So at Avery and Brown, we're brand new to TikTok. We quite literally joined it about two weeks ago, I think. And I'm very new to it personally as well. And the reason that we decided to go onto TikTok and investigate it and be on there as a brand is simply because of everything you've just said about the number of people that that are being reached on there. And that we knew that there was some good creators on TikTok who were having success in terms of their reach, like views and engagement, who are talking about sustainability related issues. So we thought, well, we absolutely need to be on there and, and trial it for us. And I think the answer to your question in terms of how we can leverage it is we need to be where the people are. So more brands like us need to at least investigate these new channels which are propping up to see if they're viable channels and mediums for us to share our messages so that we can reach more people who care. And yeah, it's interesting. We've shared, I think I think you'll find three videos on the Avery and Brown TikTok page at the moment, but purely in terms of the views that they've had, they're much higher than um, when we shared them on LinkedIn and Instagram, which is really interesting. So we're definitely going to stay on TikTok in the short term. And where it's going to be interesting for us is sharing more of our messages about educating people about the climate crisis and sustainability and the role that both individuals and businesses can play in tackling it and see see what happens. If we start getting incredible views and engagement there, then we'll know that it's 
a really good channel to reach maybe beyond the echo chamber that we that you get stuck with, particularly on LinkedIn, for example. I don't know if you find this, Catherine, but while we can get good engagement on our LinkedIn posts, and I've been on LinkedIn for years and building up a personal brand and publishing content almost daily, as you know, you still see the same people like liking, commenting and engaging, and it feels really difficult to reach beyond that echo chamber. Otherwise, we're all just talking to each other about the stuff we already know about, right? Yeah. So I think new channels like TikTok, which I know isn't that new anymore, and there'll be something else uh, soon, I'm sure. I think, yeah, we need to explore these for uh, for the benefit of the bigger picture. Yeah. You know, and, and it brings me to another question that I didn't tell you about, but it's, <laughs> it's kind of around the direction of Facebook at the moment and the metaverse. And I'm not sold on it. You know, I, I think Mark is, but I, I don't know if the rest of the world is. And I don't know if it's actually a good place for us to start thinking about how we would prepare a strategy for, for that type of reality. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I'm happy to say, hands up, I know almost nothing about it because it personally just doesn't interest me that much i <laughs> i get it but the concepts for me of yeah this virtual reality world that we can all kind of interact with each other in is just lost on me as someone who wants to protect you know what's right outside there like in the real world so there will be incredible use cases for the metaverse which i don't know about because i'm not the person to talk to about that that i'm sure will be of benefit to certain sectors and demographics but i don't know what they are and i'm yeah just far more concerned like you are catherine with the real world and doing whatever we can to protect it and solve the issues that that we know about which are out there yeah that's an interesting one and i'm sure mark's got other ideas but hey <laughs> you'll, have to, yeah. you'll have to get him on the show next right <laughs> Yeah, if only, you know, it, it's interesting. And it, it's my final comment on this topic, but my godson, so I don't have kids, but my godson spends a lot of time with his friends playing Fortnite or things like this. So I see that it has relevance, especially for this generation at this certain age where, you know, the pandemic happened and they spent a lot of time in their houses, not being able to see their friends. They've sort of built this relationship and this whole new world playing games online. And I see that this generation that's coming up now could potentially be that metaverse generation, right? They could be the ones who, you know, really get something from spending time with their friends in these kind of virtual reality situations, you know, like Ready Player One, stuff like that. So I, I can see it becoming a thing. But the question is, will we get there? Will we even get there? And that's the problem that we need to solve first, right? So on that topic, I'm going to ask you now, should marketing be regulated in your view yeah so here in the uk like fortunately all marketing and advertising must be a an accurate description of the product or service it should be truthful honest and socially responsible and you can't include false or deceptive messages or leave out any important information so at least we've got a head start on what i'm sure the case is in in other countries and in the context of our conversation today around sustainability and regenerative business practices and marketing, there's something called the Green Claims Code now, which is great because everyone must now ensure that any environmental claims on uh, goods and services don't mislead customers and that they can be substantiated, which you'll remember from when we talked about greenwash earlier. So it's pretty simple, actually. All claims must be truthful and accurate and clear and unambiguous. And that is such a wonderful thing because 
on LinkedIn alone, I've been seeing more and more people sharing posts about adverts, which they've adverts and marketing campaigns, which they've spotted where they've questioned it. And it's led to amazing discussions in the comments. And then more often than not, uh, we've also seen that actually the Advertising Standards Authority have stepped in and that the Green Claims Code has been brought into effect and the marketing campaign or the, the advertising campaign has been, has been shut down. And that's brilliant. Fortunately, consumers are becoming much more savvy to greenwash and they're uh, yeah, much more capable of spotting it or at least questioning it, which is the first part of that education. And then, you know, that's one of the ways social media really comes into its own in a good way is being able to share that and ask your, your network and your audience what they think or if in, indeed it is illegal and should be taken down and at least a great discussion and it helps educate others. Because they go, oh, yeah, I didn't really think about that. But that is, you know, how did they get away with that? That's really positive, in my opinion. And I'm really glad that we're seeing these these greenwashing campaigns being shut down. Because remember, more often than not, they are deliberate because they're being done by the bigger firms, which know exactly what they're doing. (laughs) And they are trying to mislead us. And then there are a few instances where... It's a really interesting gray area because the, the the company, the brand, hasn't done it deliberately. It's just been a kind of slight nuance of language. And that's where they need expertise of sustainable marketers and people who are clued up on greenwash and what you can and can't say to help them with their campaigns. So, you know, we exist to help our clients do that. And we don't we don't have to do it that often because we're more brand consultancy focused, but we do help run marketing campaigns as well, of course. And so it's something that we need to be acutely aware of in the language that we use on behalf of our clients to make sure that they're compliant. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing. And what I'd love to do now is to take advantage of your knowledge and have you share sort of three foundational approaches perhaps that you use when preparing a branding or marketing campaign for a for-purpose brand. So to help all listeners who might be either interested in social media or doing their own small businesses that are purpose-led. Absolutely. Number one would have to be sticking to your why and your purpose. And it sounds obvious, but it seems to be really easy to forget. So that's why it has to be my number one tip there. So assuming that your brand has completed some comprehensive brand strategy work and your purpose-driven business, which knows your, your why and your purpose, which again, sounds obvious, but we'll talk a bit about that later. You have to make sure that any campaign that you're doing harks back to do your why and your purpose so that it has not only the right impact for your audience, but the right impact for you, which leads me on to my second one, which is staying true to your vision and your values. So what are you actually trying to achieve both as a business and with this campaign? Is the campaign helping you to achieve your vision? And by staying true to your values, I mean, does the campaign have the right tone of voice and the right values, which you talk about on your website, which we've seen instances of the campaign maybe using slightly different language, which puts sets your brand in a different light than the way you talk about yourself on the about page, when you talk about your values and your vision and stuff. Um, you really want to make sure that they're aligned so that the campaign looks like it is actually from your brand, how you talk about yourself. And that can be executed in multiple different ways. So I mentioned tone of voice there. There's your overall branding and there's reflecting the language that you use in your purpose statement and your vision statement and stuff. And this is completely applicable to any brand, not just a full purpose brand, but 
don't forget to put yourself in your audience's shoes. So you've got to really think, how is this campaign going to be seen or heard when I'm actually the audience, when I'm reading that social media post, when I'm looking at that billboard. And, you know, perhaps I'd argue that that is even more important for purpose brands because of the positive impacts that that could go on to have, because actually it's not a campaign by Coca-Cola. It's a campaign by a for purpose brand, which is probably trying to achieve something really positive in the world. Maybe that's the argument for saying that harking back to your purpose, your vision, your values, and putting yourself in your audience's shoes is even more important for all-purpose brands because of the positive impacts that you're trying to create. What advice would you give to green, eco-sustainable, regenerative startups that are entering the marketplace now? Do you feel like it's too crowded? That's a really interesting one about whether I feel it's too crowded or not. I don't feel it's too crowded with exactly the right kind of brands that we need. I think there's still a huge opportunity out there for the the really amazing purpose-driven ones who are going to be you know, the next big purpose-driven companies of tomorrow. There are, however, a lot of sustainable and inverted commas brands popping up, but this is a whole other answer, (laughs) but there are too many of them which are quite clearly jumping on the bandwagon a bit and they've just put the word sustainable and sustainability in some of their copy. But when when you scratch the surface and dig a little deeper, they're nothing of the sort in terms of the way that they operate and stuff. So unfortunately, that is just something which happens whenever anything becomes trendy and let's face it sustainability is becoming trendy which is why more of these brands are popping up because these days you people feel like you need to be seen to be doing something so if they're a business which isn't doing something some of them will just lie about it and drop in a few words here and there for the advice i'd give to green eco sustainable regenerative startups entering the marketplace now If you focus on your brand strategy at a deep level, I promise you, you will instantly set yourselves apart from 99% of your competition. It can seem really obvious that if you are a green eco or sustainable startup, purpose is something which is completely fundamental to your business. But actually, true purpose is obviously more than skin deep. So whether you're a startup or an established business... A rock solid brand strategy is an essential foundation of any great sustainable brand. And it's about knowing yourself at a really deep level and answering lots of key questions about your purpose, your vision, your mission, because uh, you can be a sustainable startup, which knows what its end goal is, but it hasn't answered enough questions about itself and the way it's going to operate, if that makes sense. So they know that they want to achieve something good in the world through what they're selling, whether that be a product or a service, but actually they haven't paid much attention to their own brand strategy, which is about realizing your potential and exploring what's possible. So getting to know yourself and your priorities inside out, who exactly you're talking to. So really niching down on who your audience is, who else is talking out there. That's obviously your competition. And that brand strategy stage can extend as far as your budget allows. But ultimately, the more you can afford to spend on it in those early days, the better your foundation for growth is going to be. And you'll really help set yourself up for for that long-term success. So that's why we have such a thorough four-stage approach. Three, Three of those stages are foundational groundwork we do before we start the actual marketing. So all the campaigns and the general ongoing marketing activities are all in what we call stage four, which is execute. But our stages one, two, and three are doing a huge amount of groundwork, getting under the bonnet of the business, 
and understanding it at the deepest level possible, working with them on their purpose, vision, values, tone of voice, et cetera, brand identity before they go and jump ahead and do that. And that's what's helping our clients to kind of see success and grow and not feel like they've plateaued or grown too quickly by skipping these crucial steps that I think every business needs to focus on. But again, I'm biased, but I'd say it's even more important for the kind of planet positive brands that we're looking to work with. Wonderful. Russ, this has been an insightful session. I've loved our conversation. Can you share with my listeners how they can get in touch with you? Sure. Thank you so much, Catherine. People, please feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. You'll find me on LinkedIn just by searching for Russ Avery. Our website's averyandbrown.com and you can find us on LinkedIn, Instagram, and TikTok now, just using the handle at Avery and Brown. Perfect. Thanks so much. Thanks, Catherine. This podcast is brought to you today by the brand new Women in Sustainable Business Awards that kicks off in 2023. If you're a business owner who's starting a business with principles of sustainability in mind, and you want to preserve some lost skills, some handcrafting, artisanal work, or you're a social media manager supporting purpose-driven brands, or you're creating fashion or something that is relevant to the sustainability and green transformation, you are more than welcome to join us and to get involved in these awards. Check out our group on Facebook, Women in Sustainable Business, or follow the podcast, Where Ideas Launch, on Instagram to find out more.